You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Job chapter 1. Verses 1 through 5, Job and his family in Uz. We are introduced to a man who was both prosperous and pious, a truly rare phenomenon. He was a historical person. We're told where he lived, the land of Uz, his character and his family. We also know he's real because he is mentioned in several other places in scripture. First, in Ezekiel 14, we have God speaking about him. He mentions him in connection with two others who are often also dismissed as fictional characters by those who disbelieve the Bible, but God acknowledges them. All three are mentioned in relation to their righteousness. It says, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they could save only themselves by their righteousness, declares the Sovereign Lord. Or if I send a plague into that land and pour out my wrath on it through bloodshed, killing its people and their animals, as surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they could save neither son nor daughter. They would save only themselves by their righteousness. So this reinforces both their existence and their righteousness, and also teaches us that righteousness or merit is not transferable from one person to another, as the Roman Catholic Church teaches about saints. The only one who can impute his righteousness to us is Jesus Christ. Job is also mentioned in the book of James 5.11. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So here again, he is a real person, and the account we're about to read is of his trial is used by the Apostle James to show both Job's perseverance and the mercy and compassion of God in how he blessed Job at the end of his ordeal. And this shows that New Testament writers trusted the scriptures of the Hebrew Bible. Then we see an assessment of his character. This is not just the narrator's idea, but it is God's. We are told four things. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. So this was God's nod of approval on Job's life. He was a rich man in his middle years. We are told he had ten adult children who were old enough to drink wine and own their own houses. Children were seen as a blessing. He had seven sons and three daughters. He was also a successful businessman. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. A similar phrase is used later to describe King Solomon in 1 Kings 4.30. Like we'll learn about Abraham, Ancient people's wealth wasn't measured in money or land, but in livestock. We aren't sure exactly where this ancient city of Uz was located, other than that it is in the east, probably east of Babel. Some think it was in northern Arabia, near Midian. We know it was a walled city with gates, according to chapter 29, and that Job was a city leader, probably similar to a mayor. His sons and daughters would regularly get together to feast in each other's houses. This shows the love and concern they had for each other. As head of the household, Job was concerned about the spiritual life of his children. This was done before his suffering. 
which shows that his attention to God was not a reaction to hardship, similar to foxhole religion, where in the heat of battle, when men fear dying, they promise God anything. He understood that the human heart is desperately wicked and deceitful, and that his children could sin against God unintentionally. He would offer burnt offerings on their behalf, and this shows that there was some knowledge of the need for sacrifice even before the law was officially given. We see this with Cain and Abel and Noah after the flood. Similarly, we intercede in prayer for the salvation of our children. Verses 6-12, through 12, Satan's attack on Job's character. Then we're given a glimpse behind the scenes in heaven to a spiritual realm that we are not aware of and would know nothing about if God hadn't revealed it to us through scripture. We see God's servants, angels and demons, coming to give an account of their dealings to God. They are called sons of God, and that is usually, though not always, a reference to angels in scripture. Um, Satan, whom we first met in the Garden of Eden, disguised as a serpent, has also come before God. It shouldn't surprise us that he has access to heaven. At the end of time, his punishment is not just that he is cast out of heaven, but sent to hell. People often think of him as permanently in hell, but that is where he will end up, not where he is now. So where is he now? God asks him where he's coming from. The answer? From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. First of all, it's a little scary that Satan is among us, but that's what it says. Secondly, it shows us that unlike God, he is not omnipresent. He can only be in one place at a time. The three omnis, omniscience, omnipotence, and omnipresence, belong to God alone. We need to avoid the idea of dualism, that God and Satan are somehow equals, battling in a cosmic fight of good and evil, like in Star Wars. God is not an impersonal force which may not win in the end. He is the creator. Satan is only a created being. He is a powerful foe, and we dare not underestimate him, but he is nevertheless a defeated foe because of the work of Jesus Christ. Thank God. Over time, we can draw some conclusions about a person's character. You can hear their name and think, prayer warrior, or hard worker, or negatively, gossip, or braggart. It's helpful to wonder what phrase sums up our own character. What would God say about us? Here we see God boast about Job's character. Remember, it is God who initiates this exchange. Satan doesn't set the agenda. Job is unlike any other man on earth at the time. He again mentions his attributes. He is blameless, and that doesn't mean sin sinless, but he was faithful to God and wanted to please him. He is upright, which means he is a man of integrity. Integrity relates to the fact that our positive behavior in private is consistent with our words and behavior in public. He is not a hypocrite. He fears God and shuns or rejects evil. Part of the reason he avoids evil is because he knows he is accountable to God. Satan lives up to his name of accuser of our brothers and sisters and tells God he thinks Job is only that way because he is getting something out of it. He sets out to prove that all human loyalty to God is just motivated by self-interest. God has rewarded this behavior. Job isn't good for goodness sake, nor does he fear God for his own sake. 
It's all about what he gets out of it. He says, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. Satan says it's only because of God's protection and blessing that Job fears God. And this is slander. There is no evidence to suggest this is true. Then the incitement. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. You can hear the hatred in his words. Since before the fall, Satan has hated those made in God's image. He was a beautiful creature. Imagine him watching as God stooped down to form man out of the clay of the earth. Then he breathed into him and gave him life. This one was made in God's image. Satan must have been infuriated to see this mud man elevated above him and all the other beautiful and powerful angels. Satan and mankind have been enemies ever since. His incitement for Adam and Eve to sin proves his wicked intent. Jesus said Satan was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. His intent in the garden was the murder of our first parents. Then Satan is granted permission to take away all that Job possesses. But he is not to harm Job himself. This shows us several things. Nothing happens uh, to us except what is permitted by God for his purposes. Satan's power is limited in that he must ask God's permission to do anything and he must work within the constraints God places on him. God allows Job to be tested as he allowed Jesus to be tempted, Peter to be sifted. Satan also knows any power he has is derived from God because he says, stretch out your hand and strike out strike everything he has. Neither riches nor faith will prevent trouble. Trials come to test our faith. Do we love God only for what we get from him? Do we love the gifts or the giver? Before we charge God with being unfair, recognize first that he owes us nothing. Then acknowledge that any good thing we have is from him. Sometimes trials come to humble us, other times to discipline us. The theme of this book is how to respond to innocent suffering. Job doesn't know what's going on behind the scenes or what's about to happen to him or why. If he did know, it would invalidate his honest response to it. He will never learn why, but he'll learn the question is wrong. It's not why do bad things happen, but who is worthy of worship just because of who he is. Verses 13 to 22, Job loses his property and children. Then trouble comes in waves. First we see his children feasting together in the home of the eldest brother, as we were told earlier that they did regularly. Meanwhile, a messenger arrives to tell Job that his oxen and donkeys have been raided by the Sabaeans and were taken away. They also killed the servants of Job, except for the one who alone escaped to tell him. The Sabaeans were from Sheba in Arabia. While he's still speaking, another comes and reports that the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and servants, and he alone escaped to tell Job. This fire of God is likely lightning. While he's still speaking, another servant comes to say the Chaldeans, who are the Babylonians, formed three bands, raided the camels and took them away killed the servants, and he alone escaped to tell Job. 
Finally, after the loss of all his livestock, which was his sustenance and livelihood, and most of his employees, he gets the worst news of all. While the third servant is speaking, there is the report of this horrific news. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And this sounds like a tornado. But because we know that God permitted it, these events were not just a string of very bad luck. They are part of God's secret or permissive will, which is different from his revealed or declarative will. We know things like the Ten Commandments are an example of the latter. The suffering of, sufferings of Job are an example of the former. The loss of his children was a tragedy in itself, but they also could have been a comfort to him in his other losses. They were taken away when he needed them the most. Then we see Job's faith-filled response to such news. He tears his robe, shaves his head, which were both signs of intense grief in that culture, falls to the ground and worships. He says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Solomon voices a similar sentiment in Ecclesiastes 5.15. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. Paul as well in 1 Timothy 6.7 says, For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. He acknowledges that he entered the world with nothing, and he will die with nothing. As an oncology nurse, I've seen many deaths, and I can tell you that even if you are holding something tightly in your fist when you die, at death your muscles relax and your hands open. You can't take anything with you. You never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Job also acknowledges that the gifts he'd been given, including his children, were gifts from God. Because he gave them, he can also take them away. He recognizes that God is the first cause of everything in life. Then we're given a judgment statement. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. He submitted to the trial, knowing he could trust God. And this shows us that God's assessment of Job was right, and Satan's was wrong. Scarlet threads. So what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ are an application to the gospel do we find in this chapter? God knew Job's true character and he knows ours as well. Job was concerned for the spiritual welfare of his children, and we should be as well. Satan accused Job falsely and incited God against him. God is still sovereign. Satan is still like a roaring lion, our adversary, accuser, enemy, and a liar and murderer, and people are still the same. By reading scripture, we learn Satan's tricks, which he has been using since the Garden of Eden, he reuses the same ones with each generation for the simple reason that they work. But Paul tells us that we must not be ignorant of his devices, and Peter says we must resist him, as does James. John tells us that Satan has great wrath because he knows he has but a little time left. While Satan is powerful and dreadful, we must see him as God does, 
as a defeated foe whose end is sure, and who is now bound while the strong man, Jesus, rifles his kingdom. God allowed Satan to afflict Job. God allowed Jesus to be tempted, Peter to be sifted, and Paul to have a thorn in the flesh, which he referred to as a messenger of Satan. We will also face trials, but will prevail because of Christ. While Job's sufferings are unique, in this life we will all meet with tribulation, but we will be victorious, because Jesus has overcome the world. Sometimes we don't understand why people suffer, as Job did. Jesus comforts us in our sorrow and suffering, because he has also suffered. Job's response was a response of faith, because he understood the sovereignty of God in giving and taking away. We need to demonstrate this kind of faith as well. You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Job chapter 2. May God bless the study of his word.